0: Back in the 60s the poster was make love not war but it turns out both make love then make war on the product of, of what you love. just did right. of what you just did and the bloodshed uh, downstream from Roe so the 60s revolution hit in the 60s and then 73 was was Roe mm-hmm. and uh, massive bloodshed 60 million unborn children in America have been have been killed and you wonder at what point do we say the old order that you heard about from your great-grandfather is gone right they they burned the house down this is is, they successfully did it and there are a number of Christians who heard stories about the old house who are standing out in the yard yeah Right, <laughs> saying, "Well, when can we go back in when the house? When can we go back uh, in, in the house? Yeah, there ain't nothing there then, left, but we no, want to go you, back in." You, you Christians, are going to have to build it, right? And in order to build it, you're going to need blueprints. And if you want your blueprints, ease. you want you need to read your Bibles, and you have to get a better view of biblical law. You, 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 you mean the Bible has something to do with something outside the church? Yes. There's yeah, the yeah, issue. Yeah, there's the issue. There's the issue. Is the Bible relevant to anything other than your Sunday go to meet and club? hmm Right. And that's what people are starting to find out, thankfully. Right. Thankfully.
1: Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website is scriptureandprophecy.com. And just so you know, there's a a blog post that will accompany today's uh, talk. Uh, And that was, I I recently written one uh, that posted last week that I just kind of forgot to tell you guys about. uh, Kind of dealt a little bit with the uh, falling away that we had talked about the previous two Fridays. Now, I thought about doing some headlines today. Uh, we could talk about the fact that Russia is openly talking about dropping nukes on the United States, or we could talk about how our food processing plants can t- continue to somehow can, um, spontaneously just continue to burn down all over the country. Uh, just coincidence, I'm sure that it continues to happen. But instead, we're gonna focus on the scriptures because like I've mentioned before we know these things are happening right but it's important for more important for us to understand how we are to be using our time what is it that we are expected to do as Christians now over the years I have openly expressed in my books in the podcast blog I've openly expressed my frustration with modern-day church and lukewarm Christians. And I wish I could say that things have improved. And that a great awakening has taken place. But Christians just continue to remain asleep. Despite the growing madness that we see developing in the world. And maybe I just don't get out enough. And maybe things are turning around in some parts of the country. I'm just talking to you about my observation. And I think that there's many reasons for this. And I think, uh, you know, many reasons why they continue to, Majority of Christians in the Western world anyway continue to remain asleep. And I think it's because of... One instance would be because of decades of false teaching. Specifically the idea of escapism. Which teaches believers have to that believers should have no care for the world. Don't worry about our children and our grandchildren and their future, right? Like who cares? I mean after all we're gonna be teleported off the earth before anything bad could happen, right? Not only is that completely contrary to what Christ commanded us to do, which was to spread the gospel and to make disciples of all the nations. Matthew twenty eight, nineteen through twenty. But it's also inconsistent, with just sound eschatology. We are called to occupy until the master returns. We are to be busy about our father's business, working to build the kingdom of God here on earth. We are told to take our talents and multiply them. And yet, this is not what I see a majority of those who claim Christ doing with their lives. We're going to look at three parables today. That's going to be our main focus. Let's start, let's just dig right in. We're going to start with the parable of the weeds, because we see everything going on, right? And and those who are the seed of the serpent, right, just the most disgusting, vile, filthy people, just ruling the world, participating in all forms of just debauchery. All forms of perversion and wickedness. And we think may think to ourselves, at least I do occasionally, God, why don't you do something about these people? Let's look at this parable, Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven. What are we dealing with here? What's the context? Jesus is getting ready to tell you a story about how the kingdom of heaven works. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servant of the householder came, and he said unto him, Sir, did not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. And the servant said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares ye root up also the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but the wheat into my barn. Now, if you've ever had a garden, and listen, if you've heard me cover this parable a million times before, I apologize, but it's important. If you've ever had a garden if you're familiar with anything like this you grow tomatoes you grow beans occasionally weeds will grow up around them and occasionally they'll get so big that if you try to pull out the weed the tomato plant or the bean plant or whatever you're growing the pepper plant it is going to come up with the with the weed before it's ready right before the harvest is actually ready I mean, it's going to come up with the with the weed before the harvest is ready. And so what Jesus is saying in this parable, he's like, look, the kingdom of heaven's like this. We sowed a good seed, but the enemy came in and he sowed tares. And the servants are like, should we pull the tares up? And he's like, no, because if you pull the tares up before the harvest, you're going to pull up the good plant also. So unfortunately, they have to grow together until the day of harvest. That's why... We are surrounded by tares. And think about it like this. If God were to rain fire and brimstone right now. To destroy the seed of the enemy. Would we not get caught in the shrapnel? Now listen. Jesus goes on to explain... His parable. All you have to do is go down to verse 36, and he will explain it, so that there's no confusion. Then Jesus sent the multitude away, and he went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us this parable of the terrors of the field. And he answered, and he said unto him, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man, by the way? It's Jesus himself. The field is the world. All right, so the Son of Man has sowed good seed. Those of you who believe in him, who have faith in him, who have trusted in him, he sowed them into this world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. Okay. Okay. Please note, in this parable, he's not talking about the end of the age, right? We see that language used a lot, and people confuse that with the, with the end of the world, when usually it's talking about the end of that age, what took place in 70 AD, with the destruction of Jerusalem, and you know the the punishment for the Jewish rejection of Christ, all of that. In this scenario, he's saying this parable is talking about the end of the world. So, the good seed is sowed by Jesus. The bad seed is sowed by the enemy, the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. He continues on, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. The son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. And them which do iniquity. By the way, this is completely contrary to what is taught commonly about eschatology, what is taught common, commonly in the last few decades about what the end of the world looks like. Does this sound like escapism, or does it sound like the ones that are gathered first are the seed of the wicked one? As therefore the tares are gathered, who are they gathered by? The reapers. The angels. So, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it shall be at the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun, and the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So, what's according to Jesus' parable, what happens at the end is that the angels are sent down they and they gather the... Of course, this is symbolic, right? They gather the wicked for the furnace. And in that furnace, there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's an important phrase because it's going to play. That phrase is going to be used in our next parable which is going to be very difficult for modern day Christians to grasp because it deals with your behavior we're going to move on to those two parables now but one thing I want to point out real quick and that is this the day is coming at some point when the the harvest will be ready and then The seed of the enemy will be gathered. You see, at the end of the world, at the very, very end, there's going to be a resurrection of every single human being who ever lived. And then there's going to be a separation. Some will be separated to go into the kingdom, the eternal kingdom, and some will be separated to be burned. We hear about this in the book of Daniel as one example. We go to Daniel chapter 12. The first three verses say this. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And it shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever now let's move on to our next parable here we go to Matthew chapter 25 there's two parables that we're going to cover And what I want us to do is try not to make something out of every little thing, but instead just get the main message clearly understood. Okay, so that's what we're going to focus on. Matthew 25, we're going to start with the kingdom of heaven, as the context, is likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Verse 2. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet them. Meet him. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered, and he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch you, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now, rather than make uh, try to make a big mess out of this, and try to make something out of everything, let's just... Focus on what the main theme is. The main theme is that you have the ten virgins. Half of them are prepared for the bridegroom and half of them aren't. It's that simple. Half of them took it seriously. Half of them didn't. Half of them were on fire and watching and ready for the Lord. And half of them were kind of nonchalant about it. So what happened? So when the bridegroom came, the five that were ready went to the marriage supper. And then the five who were unprepared, all of a sudden, are they're scrambling, trying to figure out how to make this right at the last second. But that's too late because the door is shut. When it's time, it's time. And so they come knocking on the door, let us in. And what does he say? He says, I don't know you. It's a picture of intimacy. It's not like, I don't know who you are. It's, I don't know you. We're not, in an, we're not in an actual real relationship. And then he ends the parable with a very clear statement. Watch. Why? Because you don't know the day or the hour when the Son of Man comes. So the, the mindset is to every day be ready. Could be today. Could be 50 years from now. Right? is that idea of being prepared. Here's what Matthew Henry says. The suddenness of death and of Christ's coming to us then will not hinder our happiness if we have been prepared. The door was shut. Many will seek admission into heaven when it is too late. The vain confidence of hypocrites will carry them far in expectations of happiness. The unexpected summons of death may alarm the Christian, but proceeding without delay to trim his lamp, his graces often shine more bright, while the mere professor's conduct shows that his lamp is going out. In other words, talk is cheap. Watch, therefore, attend to the business of your souls. Be in the fear of the Lord all the day long. What does Paul say? Work out your fear, work, I'm sorry, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Examine yourself daily to make sure you're in the faith. Man, these these are things that are just not in the minds of Christians today. That you actually have a responsibility to God. What do we do? We instantly, when I say that, people instantly go, oh, you're trying to tell me I, it's work salvation. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, the fruit will be the evidence. James says, I will show you my faith by my works. Jesus says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this? Didn't we do that? And he's going to say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. What does that mean? Workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. He says to start that statement, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into heaven, but those who do the will of my Father. I know this is painful. People don't want to hear this. How dare I suggest that behavior matters. Let's continue on to the talents. This is very, very important. This is a continuation. He's, this is the same paragraph, or you know, same chapter. He's just continuing on with another story to illustrate what he's talking about. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling unto a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto, him, unto them his goods. Sorry, I lost my place. and he delivered unto them his goods. How did this happen? Okay, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. And every man to his servants several ability and straight away took his journey okay long story short the master left the master represents jesus he leaves his people in charge and he gives them each talents based on their abilities some of them have more than others why because this isn't a socialist government not everybody's the same some have just one Some have a handful, but he left them to do something with what he's given them. Then verse 16 happens. Then he that received the five talents went and he traded the same and made them another five talents. So the guy who had five, he went out and he did something with the talent that he was given. With the gifts that he was given and he multiplied it for the Lord. Likewise, he that had received two also gained another two. Same scenario. He only had two, but he still made something happen with it. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. So here we have somebody who was given gift, given a talent, but he did nothing with it. Nothing. Nothing. Verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh, and he reckoned with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought the other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And he that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful with a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went and I hid my talents in the earth, and and lo, there thou hast that is thine. So in other words, this servant, first of all, he had a poor attitude about the master, not even a correct attitude about him. And he basically, he's coming to the Lord with excuses, namely blaming the Lord, right? Well, it's your fault that I didn't do this because you're a hard man. Here's the response. His Lord answered and he said unto him, thou wicked and slothful servant. Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore have put my money to the exchanger's. In other words, put it in the bank so it would gain interest. And then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. That's what that word usury means. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to him which has ten talents. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying at the end... When I come to reckon, those who have the most, in other words, those who have multiplied it, will be given more. But those who have done nothing, what they do have will be taken from them and given to the ones who did something. It's not hard. Listen to this. This This doesn't go along with people's theology and pet doctrines, but it's what Jesus says. And cast ye the unprofitable servant the lazy and slothful servant, into outer darkness. And what's he mean by outer darkness? Well, you'll recognize this phrase. It's what he did with the tares. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Remember what we just read about in Daniel, some will be risen to um, everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. And he shall set his sheep on his right hand, but his goats on his left. And then the king shall say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me meat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. And when I was a stranger, you took me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him and say, Lord, Lord, when when did we see you hungry hungry and fed you or thirsty and gave you drink? When we saw thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and we clothed thee. For when we saw thee sick or in prison and came unto thee, and the king answered and he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, And as much as you have done it to the least of my brethren, you have done it unto me. Who's his brethren, by the way? Your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. How you treat them, how you care for them. That's going to be really important. And then you know the other part of the parable, Right? Then he shall say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For when I was hungry, you gave me no meat. When I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. When I was a stranger, you took me not in. When I was naked, and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then they also shall answer and say, Lord, whence saw we hungry, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? And then he will answer unto them, saying, Verily I say, inasmuch as much as you did it not for the least of these, you did it not to me. And all these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. I'm going to end with a short commentary from Matthew Henry real quick here. This is what he says about all of this. This is a description of the last judgment. It is as an explanation of the formal parables. There is a judgment to come in which every man shall be sentenced to a state of everlasting happiness or misery. Christ shall come not only in the glory of his father, but in his own glory as a mediator. The wicked and the godly here dwell together in the same cities, churches, families, And are not always to be known the one from the other. Such are the weaknesses of saints. Such the hypocrites of sinners. And death takes both. But in that day they will be parted forever. Jesus Christ is the great shepherd. He will shortly distinguish between those that are his and those who are not. There's going to be a separation uh, of the wheat and the tares, of the sheep and the goats. And sometimes they're hard to distinguish from each other. Like Matthew Henry's saying, they're, we're growing up together, right? We're in the same towns. We're in the same churches. We're in the same families. There's really just... A handful of points that I hope that you're taking away. First, let me say this. It is my opinion that most modern-day Christians have unknowingly become the slothful and wicked servant, bearing their God-given gifts and talents in the backyard while foolishly saying to themselves, no big deal, because grace when that's your attitude look there's there's the attitude of gratefulness because of grace right because i can't earn it i can't do it myself what i'm talking about is those who use grace who pervert grace to justify their laziness their slothfulness their sinful behavior like They're so casual about it. There's something wrong with your faith, if that's your attitude, because you're perverting the grace of God to give yourself permission to be lazy and uninvolved in the battle for the human soul, which is our responsibility as Christians. That's the Great Commission. I know some of these statements are not the most popular, huh? So let me just say three things and then we'll end. Three things that I hope that I've gotten across this morning. First, there's coming a time when these demons will be dealt with. We don't know when that is. So we need to stop it and stop acting like we know for sure. There's such arrogance and pride when we act like we know. Jesus clearly said you don't know. Secondly, Since we don't know, despite what all the YouTube prophets have falsely claimed over over and over and over, this day is going to come. So really, my first and second point are the same. The demons will be dealt with. The day is coming. But we don't know exactly when. And lastly, while we wait, we have a responsibility. We are to be busy working, specifically working on furthering the gospel message and the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. That's our responsibility. That's our responsibility. All right. I'm going to end with another clip. And uh, I just pray that you've been blessed this morning. Sometimes I just have to do what I feel led to do. And in fact... I was up late last night, so I wasn't going to get up early this morning. I was like, it's just going to have to wait till Sunday morning. I, I can't do this before I go to work. I'm just too tired. And wouldn't you know it that an alarm went off at 5.30, 5.30 a.m., and I woke up out of bed, and it wasn't my alarm. It was my wife's alarm for some reason, and I thought, okay, I guess I have to do this today. I guess this is meant to come out this morning. I pray you've been blessed and challenged and strengthened and encouraged. Thank you for listening. Please consider supporting the mission of truth. We've went from almost 40 Patreon subscribers last year to 27 as of right now. So support is down on that aspect. Uh, but God provides. So thank you for those of you who do support and care about this work. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time. God bless.
0: To say anything to the world that they're going to find offensive mm-hmm. outside of, well, you, you might not want to do those sins or you, you might you know, receive judgment someday. Right. The idea that there is an authority in that has been given to Christ on earth in heaven and on earth, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's not comfortable Christianity. That's not, pe- that's, that's not having uh, peace with the world. Well, we, we were never supposed to have had peace with the world in that, in that sense in the first place. There was an Anglican clergyman who said, everywhere the Apostle Paul went, there was a revival or a riot. He said, everywhere I go, they serve tea. There you go. That's it. There you go. So why the most stalwart among our pastors and leaders are the ones who, who are actually trying to put out the fires that the bad guys set. But we don't yet have pastors who want to set fires that the bad guys have to put out. Right. right. So we need to be preaching a hot gospel. We need to straight up the middle. Uh, and it's got to be a gospel that, in a, it's a it's a gospel in a Kyperian setting, a gospel that touches the world at every point.